Welcome to another episode of Thoughts of a Techno Wizard, a Narco Shaman, Techno Druid, and all the other stuff too. Shoot, can I be a witch too? <laughs> um, it is September 23, 2023. Not 8.50 a.m., goodness, a little early. But it's nice out here. And y'all gonna get two episodes today because I completely forgot to post the last episode on my birthday. <laughs> uh, but today, I wanted to talk even more about magic. <laughs> uh, but specifically, I think I want to, like, last time ended up being a little bit more into religion stuff and my history there. And I think that was a cool, whoa, I almost walked straight into this big ass web. <laughs> like right on the sidewalk with the the the, the stop sign um but anyways um yeah it ended up being a lot more about you know my experience with religion which i do think is important and was good to get into but it's not what i really wanted to get into so today i'm gonna try to be more intentional to dissect um specifically what i feel like the magic systems are like the, the various ones at least that influenced me growing up. Um, I want to look at things like, you know, this is, of course, this is a more top of mind thing, right? This isn't super analytical because ideally I will go back and read all that stuff. And, but I ain't, I ain't about to do all that. So. <laughs> it's really an exploration of what I can recall and, you know, uh, what seems like it has impacted me. <laughs> Just top of mind. Um, but yeah, I want to try and get into the, hmm, yeah, the, the systems, I, I hesitate to say systems because a, a big problem with many of these magics, and that's what, that's what we do, right? Uh, it's point out how a big problem <laughs> with many of these magic systems are that they aren't really systematic, Right? Um, many of these people did not read Brandon Sanderson's <laughs> laws of, you know, uh, hard versus soft magic before they wrote those books. So <laughs> they just was doing whatever they wanted. And that includes the Bible. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I just want to talk about not exactly pros and cons, but like, you know, just interesting aspects of them, which may look like pros and cons. But, you know, and yeah, well, I guess we'll see where it goes from there. But also, I guess a quick recap, recap for this week. Um, I do want to say it's been weird. Like it, I have been stressed out this week. Um, it was just a lot I was doing, a lot going on. But ultimately, it was really awesome. Um, so of course, it was my birthday on the 19th, but it was also my friend's birthday um, the days after. Uh, it's actually on the 21st, but. We did a dinner for them on the 20th, um, dressed up and everything like that. And that was, that was really awesome. That was really cool. And then um, they did a celebration for me on Friday, yesterday. Um, went to a, a uh, adventure air sports place. You know, some jumping, jumping around trampolines and going through a ninja course and things like that. Um, and it was really fun. It was really fun. Um, we definitely getting old. I got... <laughs> I gotta get better with my uh, workout r- routine, or just 
do it <laughs> because after the first five minutes of jumping around, I was already getting winded. Um, but you know, we we stuck it out, um, tried everything, and it was it was really it was really fun. Definitely a cool experience. Um, a lot of kids, so we kicked them out the way. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was pretty cool, and um, yeah, I'm just really fortunate to have you know a group like group like that great community and things like that and it's it's really been interesting this entire year has been you know one building up community so i look forward to doing more of that in the, in the coming year and years and um yeah as always if you want to you know create community together you know feel free to reach out and uh, do stuff like that i did want to you know make my own uh like the Discord group I have, shout out to uh, radically ambitious people. <laughs> I did want to, um, you know, be more intentional with that group too. So I might, well, I definitely want to do more like regular things there. So uh, look out, Jordan and Zach. <laughs> like the only two people really, really regular in that in that channel. But anyways, yeah, feeling much better. Um, I feel like Friday was not only like a a fun day, but it was also like a release <laughs> from all the things going on this week, um, where I'm able to like breathe more and you're like, okay, got all that done, <laughs> right? It was just a lot that I was doing with it from both from work and outside of work, my various side projects and gift ideas and all this other stuff. And, um... I think I mentioned before, but I I don't know why I still don't know why I have to do another whole another thing trying to delve into that. But I feel weird around my birthday for some reason. Like I I, I struggle with telling people like <laughs> people who don't know me. I don't tell them my birthday. Um, it'd be on the day I'll be I'll be you know doing stuff and I you know just just carry on like it's not my birthday. <laughs> but when people do say happy happy birthday and all the other stuff and show that appreciation, I, I do appreciate it. It is it is really. Um, heartwarming and stuff like that but I don't know for some reason I just don't draw attention to myself and um, yeah I'm gonna have to delve into that one day but not today let's get into the magic <laughs> recap done um, it's probably the shortest recap I've done nice <laughs> um, let me drink some water and then we'll get into it okay I actually made go ahead and made, made that a section because I'm not bounded by time today y'all <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, <laughs> so yes, magic systems. Like I mentioned in the last episode, uh, the Bible was my first intro into magic. Of course, I didn't necessarily see it as such, but I kind of still did, right? Because when you're reading the Bible, when you're watching things like Prince of Egypt, <laughs> it, it feels magical, right? As Especially as a kid, um, where you don't really have any any connotations about that word you know I'm not sure exactly if I use that word in my mind even but I definitely have the same feelings that I I felt watching Prince of Egypt and reading certain passages of the Bible is the same feeling I felt when I was reading Harry Potter right like (laughs) which I know is fucking blasphemy for anybody that that is like super religious or for maybe just for the SDA folks I don't know if, if other type of religious folks were as uh strict 
But like with SDA folks, reading things like Harry Potter and all this other stuff was the devil. You know, that was demonic. And oh, you're reading all this devil stuff. You're going to be cursed and all this other stuff. Like, like it's crazy fear monger. But in my mind, <laughs> when I'm reading it, uh, well, again, I, I read, you know, a lot, most of the Bible first, right? Several times. And then, you know, I, I eventually was able to sneak and read things like Harry Potter, right? So it wasn't exactly concurrent, but I do recall, like, for example, you know, watching Prince of Egypt and seeing <laughs> seeing him turn the, the staff into a snake and slither around and, you know, um, all this other stuff. And in the Bible, you got Jesus turning uh, uh, um, wine or water to wine and all this other stuff and parting the seas and you know all these different things that they mentioned and i was just like oh wow this is incredible right <laughs> especially with things like jesus and moses and things like that and and my namesake elijah this dude freaking left earth on a chariot of fire bro like <laughs> that's wild so in my mind i was like wow like these are supposed to be true stories, right? Like where where's this stuff? Like like if we just be more worthy, we'll be able to do this stuff, right? <laughs> and therein therein lies the problem with you know religion as a magic system, is that it's extremely nebulous, right? Um, I think I mentioned this last time as well, but it's this idea that faith is your mana, basically, right? Like faith, if you have enough of it, then you can do amazing things you can move heaven and earth you can perform miracles turn a mustard seed into a mountain or whatever right um and yet even people who seem to have the most faith right um are not doing any of these things today all right so what happened <laughs> right um are all the stories in the bible just made up probably but <laughs> even so it makes you really think, like, do we not have miracles today, right? And then there's the problem of people who really think they are performing miracles today, right? They're in church and they touch you in the head and you fall out and all your all your uh, uh, ailments are cured, right? And nine times out of ten, those are just bullcrap. Like, it's just in the moment, you know, people who are very impressionable or, or are feeling, you know, some type of amazing feeling, which may be real, right? Like studies have shown that when people pray, for instance, they really do feel something, right? It could just simply be like a meditative state, but they do feel something, right? That's different than people who don't pray. Um, I, I am curious to see, though, if those studies do see a similarity in brain patterns between people praying versus people meditating. I would love to see that. But anyways, I do find it interesting that, you know, or rather, I'm going to be honest, problematic <laughs> that this this idea of faith and miracles and things like that can be so easily, I'll say, manipulated, right, by people who either either they truly do believe or they just want to, you know, or they just want to use the fact that other people believe, right, in miracles, that they abuse this system, right? Whether it be big time preachers and pastors or your your magical, you know, um uh fake doctors and things like that. Like 
I forgot what you call them, but, you know, your faith-based medicines and things like that who say, oh, if you just pray enough times, or if I just touch you in this way, right? Like, <laughs> you'll be cured. Um, and there are stories of people who really can, you know, heal somehow, or, you know, if you do a certain system, you know, you'll be able to heal yourself. There are stories of that. But you don't really see it every day. You're like you're not you're not just walking down the street and you see, you know, <laughs> you know somebody heals somebody from some, some random sickness, right? You don't really see that in your everyday church. Um, so to me, I've always saw that as like, okay, maybe there were, maybe there were, maybe there weren't some crazy miracles back in the day, but there's very little today. <laughs> Right? Does that mean our world today is all more more faithless or less, you know, have just less faith all around? Perhaps. But it sort of doesn't seem like it because religion is now, I'm not going to say more popular, but is fairly popular. Right? Even in a day of, a day and age of science, um, even amidst the, the, the claims that, you know, atheists are taking over and, you know, everything like that our entire country here in the u.s um at least is based on religion and still still uses religion as a sort of foundation for many many things right even though it's written in the freaking constitution the doctrine the foundation of this country uh, that there is a there's to be a separation of church and state and yet (laughs) literally everything in the state is is it's almost inseparable from the church right you have to get sworn in on the bible right <laughs> they say in god we trust on our money right like it's ridiculous like how intertwined these systems are right if a president is not you know catholic or or, or christian or whatever they're like oh it's a godless person and you can't you can't trust them right like it's ridiculous how inseparable these systems are and so i look at that i'm just like hmm this is fucking weird <laughs> and to me religion is one of the worst magic systems because it's so incredibly susceptible that's how you say that word uh to malcontents to manipulation to the powers that be turning it into whatever the hell they want it to be (laughs) and to me that's a weak ass magic system or at least a very um, vulnerable one and a big reason for that is because you know it depends on this idea that there's this magical man in the sky and only certain people can talk to him or can truly interpret what he what he wants and all this other stuff and so it really it really lends itself to being co-opted or being controlled otherwise being manipulated by people who want that power and or have that power now contrast it with things like harry potter right where it's like the magic is completely different in in a way in that it's sort of a part of the world and a part of certain people um, like there's nobody that says 
like <laughs> besides you know hackers saying you were a wizardary, right? There's nobody that necessarily says that you know you have to do this in order to become you know a wizard or a witch or whatever. But the problem there is that it is you know blood based. It's very uh, opens itself very much to this idea of eugenics. But it also conflates with this idea of the 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 what do you call it the like the magical world right we have a world within the 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 mundane world that is separate from that world right where it can be hidden away and a big thing I always wondered is like why like what the <laughs> that was a big thing for me especially coming from religion like if you think about it, religion is like a magic system that does not hide from the world. That says, yeah, I'm a magic system, and we got magics, and we're here, right? <laughs> and we're going to take over the world, <laughs> right? But in Harry Potter, you have a magic system where you have extremely powerful people who can do extremely amazing things. Anything from freaking creating flying cars to talking you know, animals to turning themselves into various animals and shapes and things to creating extremely destructive spells to you know all sorts of crazy stuff right and yet it's hidden away from the world and if you tell anybody about it they have a whole men in black moment where they try to you know (laughs) hide it all right and i always wondered why I think I'm not sure if they mention it anywhere in the books, not explicitly. I think some there may have been some other, you know, world building on that, but it it never really made sense to me why these powerful as wizards, these powerful as magical people are just in their own pocket of the world and is seemingly too scared to, you know, be out in the open. <laughs> Because you would think they would be, you know, the ones in charge of everything. Or at least, you know, calling the shots. And, uh, yeah, it was just extremely worrying. Of course, uh, I think part of that they they do mention is that, like, oh, we had some wizards that thought, you know, wizards should be powerful, should be the the, uh, main powerful folks and take over everything. Um... And that was like the real eugenic stuff. Like they they hated you know muggles, as they said, you know. Um, I think that's kind of like the story behind things like you know Voldemort, or you know going further back. And uh, there was another one I forget I forget their name, but who actually had like a whole campaign of murdering a bunch of muggles. Um, and so that's why they 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 are secret or separate from the the muggle world. But that didn't really make sense either, because <laughs> um, that seemed to imply that this was still a fairly new thing, right? Happened only like 100, 200 years ago. But what about the entire history of the <laughs> of the world before that, right? Like, I think it, it banks on the idea, like, that, and it, it is similar to many other types of these books, right? It banks on the idea that um, we the world itself was more magical before 
right? Like people used to believe in dragons and magic and all this other stuff on a regular basis. And it was only in like maybe the industrial age where people no longer believed in that stuff for some reason. You know, maybe because technology is extractive, right? <laughs> and it's funny too because I feel like that is also a reason why I've always looked at technology with some skepticism even though i really enjoyed it even though i really like oh we, we, there's some cool technology we can make right but it is it is something a, a shared theme between everything from the bible to you know all these different books all these different fantasy books talking about how the world was more magical more in tune and you have you had all these amazing amazing things and then as time goes on you know, there's more iron, more metals, and all this other stuff, and people stopped believing in these in these things, and and were instead looking at the world from a very mechanical, mechanistic way, and that created you know less opportunity for um, these kind of magical systems and worlds and concepts to exist, and so I feel like that was a big influence for me as well. But to continue this kind of you know, look outlook. Um, things like Harry Potter was very interesting because you had, you know, their magic system was one such that there seemed to be spells, right? Where it was almost like a recipe, like a formula. And if you understood it, you could create this effect in the world. Right? So it's more systematic than something like the Bible where you just kind of wish your <laughs> your magic into existence. Um, with Harry Potter, there was theor theoretically some sort of system in place that allowed people to create their their intended, you know, um, thing. But then you have to ask, so, and I did ask, like, where did these spells come from? Like, who created these spells? Um, I don't think that was ever clear in the book. <laughs> like, how did they even discover this? Like, was there a time where there were no spells and people had to, like, you know, extract magic from the ether or whatever and just, and then write down these recipes and be like, yeah, here's the recipe for the spell <laughs> or the formula or whatever, right? Like, how did they come up with that? I don't quite recall that they were, like, freeform magics where you just kind of do things without saying a, a spell or, or, or something like that I don't I don't remember that there might have been but the other side is that is the fact that you had to like say the name of the spell you know so you, you there's also questions about that like why do you have to you know hold the wand as such and you know say this specific word right so that seemed to you know, speak to some, again, some system. Something that is looking for, you know, this specific routine, this specific formula in order to enact this specific result. So in that way, it seemed, quote-unquote, scientific. Or maybe that's not the right word. And I, I think, actually, yeah, this is this is why I begin, you know, I think this is one of the, the kernels of my idea of magic, right? And that with something like, you know, Harry Potter, 
it seems systematic, but it was clearly different from science, right? You could study it in a somewhat similar way to science in that you, you know, um, you looked at these form, almost formulaic kind of things, and there was a specific way to do it. But with science, the whole point is to, you know, kind of discover what what things are. And you can repeat an experiment in order to confirm, you know, a certain amount of knowledge and things like that. And you get into the the, the why or the how of, of that thing, how that thing works, right? But in magic, you never really see that, right? You just learn how to do it. You don't really get into the why you have to do it that way. At least not that I've seen so far, right? It wasn't until maybe like a couple of years ago where when I read... I think I mentioned it on this podcast, uh, Methods of Rationality. It's like a fan fiction for Harry Potter. And they delve a little bit more into there, in, into it. And, or they create more of a, system, a rational system to that system. But I won't talk about that right now because that was years later for my own understanding of what magic was. Um, and he goes, you can go listen to that pocket, that episode. I don't know what number it was. I don't want to say numbers, but you can go look it up. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, I did find it interesting that it was both something that I didn't like, but also kind of appreciated that you had to be very specific to do this magic, right? Um, I I like that the the the, the idea that all you have to do is have uh, is figure out this the, the specific formula in order to cast the magic, but I didn't like. You know, number one, that is tied to your blood. <laughs> that you have to have some magical blood somehow. Which is interesting, like, you wonder how that happens because folks like Hermione, who has two muggle parents, you know, all of a sudden can be a wizard or witch or whatever. And I think it's, I don't know if they exactly explained this either. I'm not sure if it was because, like, she had some mutation or something like that that allowed her to be to do so or if she just studied really hard like I don't quite recall like clearly she did study really hard but I don't I don't, I don't recall if that's the reason why she was able to cast magic like does that mean that anybody any muggle-born right who just studies really hard on these books and these spell books and things like that can cast magic even if they're not born from any wizardry and they don't have any sort of I don't know wizard mutation in their blood I don't know. Unclear. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't like that aspect. But I do like the idea that you can discover some effect, some miracle, right? And instead of depending on some faith and some um, god that may or may not exist to perform that magic for you, instead of doing that, or or to to, or instead of you know depending on them to channel their divine energy or whatever. Right, however miracles work. <laughs> Instead of that, you can just study these books, right? You can just, you know, that's that's the way the science comes in, right? You can write down this formulaic um, process that is that you can repeat, and that anybody can do, right? To me, it, it felt like a, a sort of almost egalitarian, you know, um, religion in a way, but not really, because again, religion is you know the kind of institution built upon this idea of of spirituality as opposed to you know 
and once again in, in things like Harry Potter it's, it seemed to be based on you know <clears throat> uh, blood or whatever it was based on so it's not really egalitarian but I, <laughs> you get what I'm saying here I, I, I hope right is the idea that you can you know share these miracles around right you could share these, these these magic systems around theoretically right to anybody um, and so people can study it people can do it and um, what what else did I like? Oh, I also like the the idea of the world itself felt very mystical, right? The fact that you had freaking uh, moving trees and you know talking animals and all this other stuff, right? The world itself felt very different, right? Um, of course, you had you know slaves and <laughs> which is very messed up, right? With the um, Dobby, Dobby or whatever and his folks what, what were they house elves or something like that like little elves or gremlins goblins I don't know um but yeah the world itself did feel more mystical more magical and I always like that because I like the idea of you you know kind of exploring around and then you come upon a troll <laughs> a thing that you've never seen before that you know um is not fully understood but it is understood in some way, right? Because there's books about it, right? There's books about these mythical creatures. Um, so what was interesting about them is not necessarily that you've never seen them before, but that they can do interesting things, right? Like, I've never seen a bear before, but... And don't get me wrong, it would be really cool to see a bear. <laughs> even though it would be dangerous. Just like it would be cool to see a troll, even though it would be dangerous. But um, some, some of these mythical creatures... And beings are more interesting than others, like a freaking moving tree, right? Like a whomping willow. They can move all around and do all this stuff. Like, it's very dangerous, don't get me wrong. But it would be cool to just happen upon a tree that's fucking, you know, moving around and grabbing things and stuff like that. Like, oh, wow, what's going on here, right? Um, and I really love the idea of, like, pocket dimensions. And that's another thing, right? Like, Harry Potter had a lot of a vast variety of magics, right? It, it wasn't just one type, right? There was a type that you can cast with a spell, right? Or at least with the wand. Um, but there are like evocation type of spells and there are, um, you know, what do you call it? Uh, abjuration type of spell. I, I guess that's more D&D type of stuff. But um, this idea that you can like, there's some type of magics where something comes out of your wand or seems to come out of your wand and it makes an effect, right? While others is like, it's kind of like telekinesis, right? You can um, float things around and stuff like that. But there's others where you don't even use a wand. You, you, you make potions, <laughs> right? Alchemy. And they, they have certain effects. So that was really interesting, right? The fact that you, there's different types of magics, different schools of, of magic and wizardry and all this other stuff that you can study. Uh, oh, and the, the schools themselves, right? The building structures. Oh, my. I loved Hogwarts. The idea that you can fucking build a crazy-ass castle that nobody can fully explore because it's always changing and adding. That's just amazing, right? Hats off to that. That was literally one of the best parts of the entire series. And I think it's obviously the, mo the most iconic part of it. Um, one of the most iconic aspects of, of the books. Um, and that's something like I really want to be able to make someday, like some virtual Hogwarts or even like a real Hogwarts somehow. I don't know. Um, and this will carry around in other books I've read too that have somewhat similar things. But 
still do it in very different ways. Um, but something that did frustrate me, though, was that there, there was a realization that Hogwarts wasn't the only school of magic, right? There's many other schools of magic, and they never really go into them, right? It was just, you know, those series where other schools come to Hogwarts and they do the, you know, the whole um, um, tri-cup, whatever that was, right? Um, but they never really show or talk about those other schools, right? You hear some story of, like, one of them is like a pirate ship type of thing or underwater. Another one is, you know, I don't know. But that's it, like... I would love to have been able to explore what those other schools were like, right? Were they as magical as, as Hogwarts? You know, how did they differ? You know, what, 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 you know, what was the, what was they like? And they seem to have like different magic systems as well, slightly, right? Like the type of magic they did seemed to differ a little bit. Not that much, but somewhat, right? And that was also super interesting. Um, but of course another problem I guess I'm not sure well it's like this uh, well I'll give you that yeah like I I think Harry Potter didn't quite have a black and white idea of good and evil but there were some words or some magics that were um, evil right like the the, the, what do you call it the forbidden spells or whatever but that was understandable right like it was evil because you can the whole point of the spell was to just hurt somebody or just kill them or whatever right but I did feel like that was kind of silly because I feel like there would be more spells like that like there's like why is there only one spell to just immediately kill somebody one spell to torture somebody uh, incredibly and another and one spell to mind control somebody right like those are the three forbidden spells I feel like there would be a lot more forbidden spells like <laughs> would it not be a spell to like slice somebody up rather than just instantly kill them or like you know um i don't know bash somebody's brains in or you know i don't know i I don't want to come up with a bunch right now but like the point is like i'm sure you can imagine really bad spells that you know should also probably be forbidden but they never talk about that and what was also interesting, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there was any necromancy in Harry Potter, which is really interesting because in most other magic systems and stories, and I'll, I'll jump into to the, to the next. I talked too much about Harry Potter, <laughs> but it was a big part of my life in the, in the early, early years. Um, but most other magic systems have necromancy, and necromancy is typically like the evil stuff, like the bad stuff. As you know, raising the dead. Um, so I did. It's not like I found it interesting at the time, because again, Harry Potter was one of my first forays into magic. But looking back at it, I do find it interesting. But yeah, those are many of the things that I liked and disliked about you know that those magic systems and, and yeah, the the idea that there is this type of magic, type of aspects of the world rather that you can discover. And that you can share with others and that you can create an effect on the world just through your mind and through, you know, um, of course, doing the right formula. But you can still create this effect on the world almost directly with your mind. Right. That felt to me like the core of magic. And that I think the reason that stuck with me is basically that's how 
you know, miracles and faith kind of works, right? It's this idea that you can create facts in the world with your mind, but with with religion is through the through the through the channel of like the divinity, through the channel of faith, through the channel of believing in this higher power, right? Who grants you the ability to do so? While in Harry Potter and many other types of systems, there is no higher power granting you the ability to do so. You just have the ability to do so. Um, so I thought that was really cool. But as you can see here, you know, there's this thing I'm building upon. I think as I read these 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 these, these stories of you being able to fashion the world, being able to create something in the world, something material in the world through immaterial means. And nonetheless, there were still almost material things you can do, right, to create those effects. And I think that carries through as I begin to read more stuff. So I don't recall exactly what's next in terms of my you know, development into learning about magic and all the other stuff. Because at this point, I started, my, my reading became just, uh, what's the word, proliferate, um, excessive, <laughs> ridiculous, you know. I, st I read almost every book in my libraries. Um, whatever school library I was in, any book that looked interesting, I would read it, you know. So I remember things like, uh, Artemis Fowl. Uh, I remember that one. That was really cool for me. Because in Artemis Fowl, it again um, portrayed this idea of a magical world. All right? But this one was under the earth. So this one to me felt more, even more real, quote unquote real. Because in Harry Potter, right, it's like you have to freaking go through a goddamn <laughs> a, a, a wall right or just like these hidden away alleys and stuff like that and in some ways that did feel quote unquote real because like yeah if you didn't know the, the spell you can do whatever right but in Artemis Fowl like you just you just fall through a deep ass hole <laughs> and there's this whole there's this whole world under there and I think another part that made this real to me is because I think around the same time I was also reading things about geography and all this other stuff. And I saw how big the, the, the earth was, you know, in terms of like relative with my child mind. Because I think at the time, I, I don't know, I think it may, it may or may not have been around the same time. But we, my brother and I, <laughs> so silly, but we got the idea that we could dig to China. I don't know if this was a thing other kids did. It may or may not have been, but. Um, we got this idea when we realized, you know, yeah, the earth is round and China's on the other side. It's like, oh, so if we just dig deep enough, yeah, you can make a tunnel to China's. <laughs> so my brother and I got some shovels, even some spoons and stuff like that. We were just like digging, <laughs> digging this hole for like a whole day. I think we even did it consecutive days. Um, and it felt like we got really deep. Honestly, it was probably no more than like three feet, maybe maybe five feet if you really, you know, <laughs> push it. But it felt pretty deep to us. It was like, oh my gosh, you're gonna get there, right? So, <laughs> oh, we eventually had to stop because my brother got ring. We both we both got ringworm, and we <laughs> my mom didn't let us do it anymore. But um, uh, we 
<laughs> it was definitely around. I think it was definitely around that same time. That was like, oh my gosh, mom, you're you're stopping me from discovering the magic world, right? If I just dig far enough, I'll be able to find these fairies and stuff like that, right? Like, <laughs> so to me, it felt more real, right? This idea that whole magical world exists under the the earth, and it made sense why we never discovered them because they their whole job is to for us to not discover them, right? Harry Potter, like, it didn't really make sense because if you really think about it, they probably should be in charge of most things or, or be out there more. Like, there shouldn't really be a reason why they're scared of humans, right? Of, or non-magical people. Um, it makes sense why they're scared of themselves, killing off a bunch of people. But, you know, them being in their own world would, wouldn't solve that, right? Like, the whole reason, and this is another problem I forgot to mention, but, like, the whole reason why I feel like uh, you have this side of wizardry who hate muggles and want to kill them and stuff like that is because they're so isolated, right? And this is not... I don't, I don't think this is something I caught on at the time. No, this is definitely not something I caught on at the time. But looking back on it, me understanding how racism works today, it's 100% because people don't mingle, <laughs> right? When you live in an isolated area and you don't ever see somebody different then you can create stories about those other people or the stories that you hear about those other people, right, through the grapevine, you know, are the only basis you have for those other people. And so, of course, if you hear any sort of bad stories and because, you know, the human mind sticks on bad things more because we have to pay attention to what might be dangerous, so it makes sense why we stick onto those more, right? But any da- any bad thing you hear about them, that's going to stick in your mind, right? That's going to be your only... only uh, filter right your only foundation your only way to view these other people and so of course you know you're going to see those people as as you know whatever that bad thing is and for something like wizards who do have amazing power and who you can easily excuse me you can easily you know see a reason why they would see themselves as superior right which is problematic in and of itself but you can see that reason right you can if somebody can you know cast a spell and do some crazy shit and this other person can't like <laughs> you can see why they would see that see that even though they might be wrong in some certain aspects right but the fact that they live in this in the whole world they can live their entire life without ever really mingling with with quote-unquote muggles right creates this 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 uh big you know kind of space for this basically racism to exist right um and again you have to ask why are they all in this 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 separate world right like what happened was there ever a time where they were just out in front of people and then they all got like like the like the witch trials was that was that the the moment they were like oh we got to get out of here which doesn't make sense because in the witch trials they didn't really have guns like that. They had like these one shot. Like, why would that scare a bunch of wizards, right? Who can just boom? Now you can't cast your spell, or now you can't, you know, shoot your gun, or now you can't. That bomb won't work, or that bomb will blow up on you. Like, like it didn't really make sense why they were all ran away. I think there was some under there's some idea that oh, there's way more muggles. They you know reproduce like rats, and so. You know, this is a, this is a thing that was also said in Artemis Fowl. Um, but like, there's this idea that you know, regular humans, non-magical people, reproduce so fast that you know you can't really overpower them, 
but I find that as a poor, poor, you know, um, explanation as well, at least in terms of Harry Potter, because, um, we have rats, <laughs> we have actual rats and roaches and all these insects who do reproduce way faster than we do. And yet we don't see, we don't, we're not running from them, right? Like, <laughs> at least not like our society, right? It might be individuals where you see a rat, you're like, oh, well, um, but our society does not, you know, hide from these rats. So if they truly did believe, right, these magical people truly did believe that non-magical people were basically rats, then there would be a very different dynamic than what's shown in these books. But the problem, of course, is that they, that's, the, that's like the overlying problem with many of these books. They can't do that, right? Because they do want to tell a story where these wizards or these magical people are just like you and me, but they just have magic, right? They're good people. You know, they do their own things, whatever. They're just like you and me. And they want to tell the story of, you know, the chosen one or the, the MC who has, who can enter this world, right? And learn from them and become powerful and all this other stuff. And if that, that world was, <laughs> was fucking genocidal, was de- killing all humans, then you can't really tell a story where your MC is the good guy, <laughs> Right, so I understand that there's this overlying issue there. Nonetheless, that does still that does cut the cut the cut these stories off at the knees, oftentimes, unless it's a story again like Artemis Fowl, where you have this understanding that yeah, there are some radicals who really hate humans, but most of them don't really care. Right, like they they have their entire world underground, and it's to them it's bigger <laughs> it's a bigger world it's a better world right and to them they're 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 protecting right this this i think they had like some sort of magical crystals or right, right some mineral that they're protecting from us or from other people whatever right um so it made sense why they were all there it made sense why you know they didn't you know try to they didn't really care about genociding humans or they didn't have that much there going on um, now I didn't unfortunately I wasn't able to read uh, most of the series or like half of the series at least I think I read like maybe three four three three of the books um, so I don't know what else they got going on in here but I did want to go back and read it at some point but yeah that magic system was pretty interesting I don't remember I honestly don't remember a whole lot about the magic system right but I did remember that it it felt more technological, right? Like they had gadgets and gadgets that were just magical, right? Like a, a thing you could put on and, and you could turn invisible, and you know you can have uh, some flying cars or, or flying vehicles, and like they had these, you know, cool spaceship-looking things. But they were not really for space; they were for going above ground and really fast and all this other stuff. And they had all these like all these little gadgets that were powered by their magic. Right by their crystals, and so to me, yeah, it felt more like a technology, right? Um, and I think that was one of the fundamental things as well. I was like, oh wow, so it's like there, there's maybe there's this, you know, uh, material that we can use that would you know allow us to do things that that seemed to be you know disallowed by physics as we understand them today. Um, I think that 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 is <laughs> kind of secured in my mind, or seeded in my mind, the idea that you know physics as we know today is not all there is, right? There might be 
a whole lot more to the quote unquote laws of physics that will allow us to do a whole lot more things. And so if we, you know, discover more stuff, then, you know, we can open that up. We can open up to what's possible. And that seemed to align with like how technology works, right? Like at one point they didn't think it was possible to fly, <laughs> right? The laws of physics didn't seem to allow it. But then we discovered, you know, with the Wright brothers, all their testing and all this other stuff and all this, like you discovered a, a specific way, right? A specific pattern you can create, specific mechanical design you can you can have that allows you to fly, right? To build these massive, heavy ass, <laughs> right? It doesn't really make sense how, like, like it's magical. It still is magical when you think about it, right? Like we have this heavy ass uh, metal tube in the sky and we attach some wings that aren't really wings, right? Like everything we know about wings is completely like different than how a plane wings work most pretty much mostly right almost everything except for like the look like the extended look and maybe i think there's the 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 effects that allows it to fly the bernoulli principle right the idea that there is more pressure air pressure under the wing than over it right because over it's smoother and stuff like that and you know if you build up enough momentum get fast enough right you can achieve lift right by the air itself can lift this giant construct up and really how flying works right is that it's technically like gliding through the sky if you really think about it right like birds fly right because they can flap their wings and just take off vertically pretty much um slow around turn all this other stuff right but a plane has to has to run and jump basically right they have to gain the momentum to take off and it allows them to glide through the air right well I, I, that's that's really a, 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 a what do you call it pedantic type of thing honestly because like what's the difference between gliding and flying at the same point like if you can fly for 12 hours i mean if you can glide for 12 hours it's basically flying so yeah it is flying <laughs> um words are you know words are made up <laughs> yeah, but the point here is that uh, uh actually let me drink some water real quick before i get to the point okay but yeah the point here is that with books like artemis file it shows that i don't again i don't know i don't recall if they ever even said the word magic right they call it the magic at all but you can have this technological system that is more that just feels magical right that's more capable than what we currently have today and the way that a lot of our technology gets built today feels very magical from a standpoint of a lot of people don't understand how it works so similarly to you know harry potter right you you cast a spell and you create an effect in the world even though you don't really know how, like you don't understand why this specific formula creates this specific effect, um, but you just kind of trust that it works, right? Because other people have done it. <laughs> um, whereas in our world today, it's similar. You you do a certain effect, and this it might be you know coding, or it might be you know even just pressing you know play on your TV, right? 
you know, calling somebody across the world. Like, there, you do this effect on the world, and then something, or you do this action, and you get an effect on the world. And most of us don't actually know why. Like, we know there is, and that, that's the that's the real the, the two main differences between our technology and like most magic systems, is that in most magic systems, most people, most of the magic users even don't know why like the people creating these effects don't know why this works <laughs> there are like the very best like and that's like that makes the difference between you know a regular magic user and like an arc wizard or whatever is that the arc wizard you know the grand wizard i don't want to say grand wizard but you know the arc wizards um understand why magic works at least at least in some of them some of these books um, and because of that, they can create new magics. They can create new spells and all this other stuff. Um, but most people, don't, they don't really care to know why or how. They just trust that it works. They don't really, they may, they may not even realize that there is a reason why, right? So that's the main reason. Main reason number one is that there is, the main difference number one is that they don't, many people, many magic users don't even care to think that there is a reason why. And number two, um, dang, I just had it. There, there is a. Uh, oh yeah, there's a distinction of the effect, right? Like the action you do is something that kind of comes from you, right? Even though you're you're, you're us- utilizing a formula that somebody else created, the effect comes from your mind, right? Like you you have to think up what you want to happen in order to make that happen. Versus with our regular with our technology today number one even though most people don't really know how technology works they know that there is a reason why it works right they know it wasn't just handed down from the gods or from some ancient times or whatever they know somebody created this <laughs> or somebody's right created this and that's why it works right somebody understands how it works and number two um and this is the part I really don't like about our technology is that it's not it's not really crafted from your mind, right? Like when you press play on the TV or you call somebody or you you know use any sort of technology today, the intended effect that happens is what the designer of the system wanted to happen, and you're just kind of using the service, right? And maybe you can kind of say magic is a similar thing but i think what differentiates magic is that you don't have to utilize a different tool or you do but hmm, this is actually pretty interesting really really getting to these differences i'd say in in many of these magic systems right you can use a tool to get your intended effect but that tool is multi-purpose there are many effects that you can get with the same tool. Like, for instance, a wand, right? With this one wand, you can create many different effects, right? Whether it's floating something, casting something, you know, changing something, whatever, right? You can do a whole bunch of effects with one tool. And the difference is in your mind, right? So your mind facilitates, you know, first you have to think about what you want to happen. And then you have to do the certain um, spell or whatever and this is this is this is what differs too right and many of these magic systems 
Like in Harry Potter, you have to like hold your hand a certain way and you have to have a certain intonation and all this other stuff. But in other, and sometimes even in Harry Potter, right, which is so inconsistent, but if you just think hard enough, right, if you just hold all of that in your mind, then you can still cast a spell even without saying anything, which seems to, it, it seems to imply that you're a better wizard or whatever if you can do it without uh, intonations and moving your hands, like you just think about it and do it. Um, like you need, like, the, uh, but that is the difference, right? Because in things like Harry Potter or any of these magic systems um, that are really use like a wand or anything like that, typically the wand and stuff like that is not the thing that allows you to do it. It's the, it's the thing that channels your own ability to do so, right? It's the ability, it, it makes it easier for you to cast that intended effect, right? So theoretically, this is understanding that you can do this without any sort of tools, but the tools allows you to do it easier and more reliably and more consistently. Whereas with our technologies today, you can't do any of these things without the tools, right? And that's the big difference, right? Like you can't just call somebody across the world without a phone, <laughs> right? The phone is what allows you to do these things, right? So the magic is in the tool itself rather than in us. And to me, I think that that is probably one of the things that I've kind of struggled with, right? Is like, I want it to be able to, I want the magic to be in me. <laughs> and I want tools to just help me to get it out of me, right? Um, but there is amazing power, like in Artemis Fowl, where the magic is in the tool itself. In the, and so if you just get these tools, you can do this magic. You can do these abilities. And if you have better tools, then you could do better things. And that's also why I really enjoyed very, a lot of sci-fi, right? To me, this is why sci-fi and fantasy wasn't that different, right? I enjoyed both of them. But in sci-fi, I did not enjoy... It was frustrating because a lot of sci-fi was just guns, right? In space, right? But my favorite sci-fi was ones where you had, like, ships, of course, spaceships... Because they felt magical because they were like, you know, freaking um, the equivalent to a fantasy of that would be like dragons or something like that. Or, <laughs> you know, this mythical, almost like a creature. Because in many of these sci-fi books, like, um, um, I'm trying to think of some of the earliest ones I've read. Dang, I don't even remember. Actually, I think one of the earliest sci-fi books I read was like uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea with the Nautilus and that wasn't a spaceship that was like a you know a, a uh, what do you call it submarine type of ship but it did feel magical because it was able to do things that no other ship can do even to this day <laughs> as evidenced by uh, um, what happened with those billionaires right like in the Nautilus you have this submarine the ship that can go deep underwater and travel the oceans and discover all these things in these new places right um and I think that's what made the idea of spaceships so interesting to me. It's this idea that you can get into this vessel and then you can go into these other worlds, right? You can explore these other worlds that were that are still that are that are indeed accessible. Like they're accessible to us today. Like we can explore the oceans, but we just don't have the right vessel. We can explore space, we just don't have the right vessel, right? So this idea, that's what made sci-fi so interesting to me because it 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 functions on the idea that there is a magical-ish feeling world. 
you just need the right vessel to get there right um and that could be uh not just a a spaceship or a ocean ship but also a multi-dimensional ship right you can go to different dimensions or a time ship all right time travel so all these ideas uh is that yes in the real world there's more to discover there's more frontiers Oh, and another one, shrinking down. I love that one. I, I used to love Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and things like that, right? This idea that you could just shrink down and explore, you know, the, the microscopic world. That was another type of world that felt magical because there was so much to explore. There's so much that we didn't know about it, right? And that's what, that's another aspect of magic, right? Is that the, the inherent idea that... You're looking at something, like I said earlier, with magical creatures that can do things that you don't understand, right? So, and I, but I do want to make this distinction because there's this idea, right? And this, you see this a lot with people who read a lot of fantasy and all this other stuff. This idea that, oh, you know, technology is terrible today because it takes away from the mysteries of the world, Right? Because we, we've discovered too much about the world. And that's why it feels so small and so, you know, non-magical and stuff like that. But I always disagree with that. Even when I was a child, right? Even when I felt this, I really, I really uh, resonated. I don't know when I heard this term, but I resonated with the idea that I was born too too late to explore, you know, the, the, the old frontiers, right? But too early to explore the new frontiers, right? Space and stuff like that. So I was born too early to explore, you know, the wild west and, you know, all these different places, the oceans and stuff like that. Well, not really, but and born too late. Or, yeah, too early to explore things like space and the deep oceans and things like that. Right. But at the same time, I did feel like I was still born at the right time to explore, you know, more of these worlds. Right. The fact that we still haven't explored most of the oceans. We still haven't explored most of the forests, even like the rainforest. Like we still don't know all the different things within there. We still haven't explored, you know, um, Antarctica. We still haven't explored the deep uh, under the crust, right? When I learned that the deepest holes we've ever uh, dug is not really that deep in comparison. If you look at a chart of like the Earth's crust, right, the deepest holes we've we've ever um, dug barely going to like a tenth of the crust or something like that right so that 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 also stoked my idea that oh there might be a whole other world under there right and then another portion of that is i read something where um the idea that there are there are caves underground that are bigger than new york freaking city they're three times bigger than new york city just underground and that really stoked this idea that, oh my, there could be whole fucking civilizations underground. And we'd have no idea. Artemis Fowl could be real. <laughs> Alright? But yeah, this is the idea that there's more to discover. And this is also why I always, I never really agreed with the idea that um, there's ever going to be an end to science or, or an end to history or an end to discovery. Because it seemed like the more we discovered about the world, right, the more we were able to understand with our science, the more that we didn't understand. For instance, we can understand so much about 
the molecular world, right? I remember I made this post on Facebook one time. I was like, we know a lot about, you know, all these things. Now, because I mentioned, I was, I was like sitting on a toilet, taking a poop. <laughs> we understand a lot about our systems, like why we poop and why it comes out and all this other stuff. We understand a lot about like the molecules, you know, with that. But all, and also the molecules between like my skin and the, the chair or the seat of the toilet. But we still don't quite understand why why it is that we even see what we see when we when we look at when if you look at you know our, these molecules right on the microscopic level there's like 90 or it's like 97 or so, some absurd amount of vacuum right like there's a certain amount of space between every molecule between all of our molecules on a, on a microscopic scale and so when, when you when we when we sit down on things, when we punch things, when we touch things, right? What allows us, what facilitates that experience, right? Because for all intents and purposes, you know, our molecules should just phase through, should just go through the other ones, right? Like there's mostly empty space there. But it seems to be some sort of field, right? Like the, 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 the uh, area of field physics or whatever it's called, right, is very much not understood <laughs> we don't understand a whole lot about that and we don't understand a lot about consciousness and we don't understand you know a lot about you know even the 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 uh efficiency like what allows your, your the efficiency of your stomach to extract certain nutrients from the food and you know for the rest to come out and all this other stuff. like there's so much that we don't understand even though we understand a lot because the more we discover about the world, the wider our sphere of the unknown becomes, right? The bigger the sphere of the known becomes, uh, the, the, there's even more surface area for the unknown to exist. And so that's why I always was excited about discovering more and more and more. Because there was always more and more and more to discover. And I'm almost at my hour here, but I'm going to keep talking. This is going to be a long-ass episode. <laughs> so I'm a... I'm a uh, make another section and we'll continue this conversation okay so yeah it's always very it was always very interesting to me to see that even with our science there were almost like spaces for magic to exist and again magic in the sense of there's a lot that we don't know about the world. And yet, I did still want to believe in something that felt even, quote-unquote, more magical. Um, and to me, that was the idea that I saw in many of these other books. So, I guess now we can delve into, you know, these other world type of books, right? Things like, uh, let's say, um, um, Ranger's Apprentice, uh, The Magician's Apprentice, or whatever it's called. Um, I remember I used to get deep into these vampire books. Uh, what was it called? Vampire Academy and, and, uh, I forget what they were called. But many of these type of 
more urban fantasy type of stories um, was was a similar idea, right? There's this myth- magical creatures or people rather and magical creatures that existed in the same world, but they were just you know in a different world. And to me, I just I just couldn't get enough. I just used to eat that stuff up. <laughs> um, but mechanically, they're very similar to you know what I what I was saying before. Oh, something flew in my head. <laughs> but what made it interesting too, um, besides just being a form of escapism, was was this idea, right? Where the reason why you, I think the reason why it was such a potent form of escapism was this idea of once again, oh, you know, somebody could discover has something special in me and allows me to enter this other world, right? Or I could just stumble upon this other world and you know have this whole adventure. Right, things like Narnia, um, or there's this precursor. I forgot what it was called. The precursor to Narnia. That was actually a interesting book, really, really good book at the time. I don't know if it stands up back now, but <laughs> um, and to me, when I say that this X and Y was a good book, I'm not necessarily talking about like the the the. To me, like what made a good book was if it was an interesting story and interesting world, right? Like the world building was really cool. Um, like it was just <laughs> like it didn't have to be super consistent, didn't have to be, you know, super uh, literal, you know, literary masterpiece and stuff like that. Um, quite frankly, it probably could be trashy, <laughs> but no, no, I'm not gonna say that because there, when 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 there started to be a over proliferation of YA novels, you started to see the difference between trashy stuff and and like the good stuff, right? Like. Um, freaking uh, uh, Twilight, for instance, right? Um, this was honestly, it was like kind of sort of borderline. No, no, it was kind of trashy. I'm gonna go say that. <laughs> and what made it trashy was not, you know, um, like I, it's it's weird because people have this idea that oh, you know, people are just hating on Twilight because a lot of girls liked it. But no, <laughs> right. The problem with things like Twilight was that they were <clears throat> so inconsistent that it broke your whole like ability to enjoy the book. Like, in almost every book, there's a certain level of inconsistency. Like I said with Harry Potter, right? Like it didn't really make sense. Well, I'm not gonna rehash, but all that stuff I mentioned before. There was a lot of problems there, but it was still enjoyable to read the book. Right, because a lot of those inconsistencies didn't really crop up in the main plot most of the time. There were sometimes some big plot holes, but usually, you know, you can just enjoy the whole experience. And it's not until you look back at it, you're like, "Hey, what? Hey, what? A, like, like what?" <laughs> um, and at the same time, there's so much going on that it felt very. It was very enjoyable to read. Right? It was a very good form of escapism, but also like. It really stoked your imagination. But with things like Twilight, (laughs) what made it so trashy was that, you know, they focus way too much on, like, the wrong stuff, right? Like, (laughs) this this love triangle, like, almost every, you know, story, they have love triangles and all this stuff. But in Twilight, it was almost an excessive amount of this love triangle thing. And the love triangle itself didn't really make sense, Right? You had this 200-year-old vampire 
um, in love with this little girl, right? Like, <laughs> and even at the time, I was like, this is weird, right? Like, why is this, you know, old ass man trying to be with this this teenager, right? Who was in her own world was not at all remarkable. Um, and you know, at least with many of these other stories, you have a lot of interesting stuff going on with the world. But in this one, you just have these vampires who it wasn't really clear, you know, what where they sat in the world. It seemed like they were very powerful, like they had like what seemed to be like a Vatican type of thing. But if you ever expose yourself to the other humans, they would like try to take you out. Like <laughs> which is weird because there was no reason why they had to hide from humans. Like they were on par, like way, way more powerful. At least with many other vampire stories, even though they were powerful vampires. Most vampires could die if you, if, you know, they're watching the sun, right? So they had to do everything at night and all this other stuff. They had to do, be, be like what you see with Blade and stuff like that, right? They had to be very careful, right? Because they were still fairly vulnerable. But with the Twilight vampires, they were incredibly powerful, right? Like they had freaking skin as hard as marble and they could walk in the sun. Right, like the sun didn't actually harm them; they just were were, were spicy, <laughs> were sparkly, <laughs> which is ridiculous. So you have to like, you had to wonder, like, why are they scared of humans? Why do they care <laughs> about hiding from humans? And then on top of that, you had these goddamn werewolves, right? Like, why are they scared of humans? Why did, why are they hiding? Again, in other stories, you do have vampires and werewolves. But again, it's like the werewolves are <clears throat> um like there's they're very rare, right? And they have to do things in a particular way and all this other stuff. Like they have specific rituals that they have to go about. But they didn't really go, get whole whole lot into that in the Twilight series. And then on top of all that, you discover that oh these twilight these vampires have powers, and honestly, I read the entire Twilight series mostly because of that, because I did find it I did find that these vampires were one of the most interesting vampires I've ever read, and that not only were they not you know weak to the sun, but they also had powers and they varied. One of them was like that freaking avatar. Another one could, you know, could had mind powers. Another one could do all this. Other, like it, it was crazy how they all had like, well, not all of them, but many of them had like OP powers. And I was like, oh wow, this is crazy, right? But then the whole book is centered around like the most uninteresting parts of this. Like the whole book didn't really delve into all these different powers and where they came from and and what they could do with it and all this other stuff. Like. And the only part where they do get into it, they have a whole training arc for this battle and all this other stuff. And it turns out the battle was a goddamn illusion. <laughs> right? Um, and I know some stuff was changed for the movies versus the books. I don't remember which is which. It took me, it's been a long time since I even read the books uh, or saw the movies. But either way, it was it was just ridiculous. And then, the, yeah, the whole imprinting, it was just, oh my gosh. It's just so like the problems of that book overshadowed the the interesting aspects of the world building, and the world building itself was so weak that any interesting aspects of the world 
what were not able to stand upon the foundations of what was built and that's what made things like that trashy right um if you contrast that with things like you know um the the i think it was with the demonator series or something like that it was like these vampire hunters or the vampire or maybe it was the vampire i think demonator was demon hunters so <laughs> um but it was in the same kind of vein as uh this kind of vampire hunter kind of book i think it was by the same author or whatever I'm pretty sure they, they made a movie. The movie was not good, but <laughs> I really did enjoy the books. Um, I think it was Vampire's Apprentice or something like that, but it was pretty interesting that those vampires also had some sort of powers or abilities and things like that. But that one was interesting because I think there were like there were specific people who would who were really talented that were hunt vampires. <laughs> so the vampires had to be careful of that, right? Um, because these vampires could also have powers, right? They weren't just regular humans. Like some of them were like kind of like Blade, where they were like half vampire type of deal, right? Um, but I don't want to get too much into whole. Like the point here is the, is the magical systems, right? To me, what made vampires so interesting was once again um, similar to the Harry Potter thing, where you had this idea that oh, um, you can get these powers, right? But unlike in Harry Potter. At least with vampires, you just have to find another vampire and get them to bite you and <laughs> become a vampire. Like, oh, snap, right? Like, I might take this this, uh, this uh, deal, right? It sacrifice uh, the sun and <laughs> allow me to uh, get some crazy-ass powers. Especially if I'm, like, goddamn Twilight vampires, right? Like, I don't have to be... I don't have to sacrifice the sun, right? <laughs> that seemed like a good-ass bargain live forever and all the only difference is I can just eat some drink some blood or whatever like whatever I'm gonna have to spice that you know get some animal blood or whatever <laughs> or get some uh, I think they got they had some folks who would you know I think they did it in Blade right like they would get blood from blood banks and things like that Um, but that seemed like a, a good little trade off so to so a person who want like who was looking to see how they can get into like how they can like the most realistic way to to get powers these vampires seem like one of the best you know kind of deals um and sort of werewolves but at least with vampires like well it didn't really matter to me it seemed like vampires had more utility (laughs) had more you know powers usually associated with them um while werewolves all they did was just transform and then they got really strong and fast but vampires, they were also strong and fast. And some of them could also transform into different things. And some of them also had other types of powers, right? <laughs> so that seemed like they had more utility. Um, and then, uh, and of course, you know, you get state to the heart that they're weakness, which is silly because a state to the heart would kill anybody, not just a vampire. Like, <laughs> that was kind of silly. Um, but yeah, like, I went deep into the the whole vampire thing, so I'll move on from that. But I think that was a, a big thing for me that was, again, interesting that added to my idea of magic was, once again, this idea that you can kind of almost pass this magic on, right, between different things. And, you know, once you got it, you got it. And there's a certain, you know, things you can do with that. Um, and it was all, all, 
good point, point to recognize too is that certain books and, and and movies like Blade once again they also had this idea that you can study that quote-unquote magic right like vampires and Blade not only did they have some of them have different powers but those abilities could be studied right if you got their blood and you you can you know see what how it works and disseminate that right of course there were some pros and cons to that because it could be like a disease almost <laughs> um but yeah like i think i found that interesting as well but i think uh, at some point I got tired of the fantasy. I got tired of many of these tropes, right? Because I read too many of them and they all started to blend together. Right? Oh, real quick. I do have to do a quick shout out before I do the shift to the freaking um, uh, Percy Jackson. Right? That was another, that was a big foundational thing for me too. Because in Percy Jackson, that exposed me to a whole other religious system. Right? Because once again, you know, growing up SDA, you just have this idea that there's one, there's one God um, and even in the Bible, there's this idea that other pe- there there are other gods, or at least people that believe in other gods, but they're either not as powerful as the God or whatever, or they don't exist, right? But if you read the Bible, and maybe at least at the time, how it seemed to be, they seemed to be alluding to the fact that there were other gods that did exist, but they just weren't as powerful as the you know, Judeo-Christian God, right? That seemed to be what was allusion to when you read, the, like, especially the Old Testament, right? In the New Testament, I think they kind of, you know, stamped all that out. They say, no, 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 there's only one God, right? But in the Old Testament, there are certain passages, certain events, like with, uh, you know, the whole Pharaoh's thing, uh, Prince of Egypt type of story that took place in Exodus and, and things like that. There's this, there's this understanding that there might be other gods <laughs> that's just not as powerful, right? And so when I read things like uh, The Lightning Thief and, you know, the whole Percy Jackson series, I started, to, I, I got exposed to the, the idea of the Roman mythology, right? The Greek gods and the uh, um, things like that. And so, yeah, I started to go deep into, like, reading about all these Greek gods, and I was like, oh, wow, this is a whole other thing, right? A whole other, <laughs> other world. Um, and I think around that same time, I also... You know, went to look at you know the Indian gods and you know all these other types of religious systems. Then I that really opened my mind. I was like, oh wow, this is this whole <laughs> world of worlds out there. And so that showed this idea that um, the religious idea of magic, right? This idea of faith-based, you know, magic systems, where this 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 higher power grants you the ability to do things is actually way more fleshed out in these other religious systems, right? With the Greek pantheon, it was more clear, you know, what you had to do, right? It was more clear that if you, you know, offered sacrifices or did rituals or whatever for a different type of god who was in charge of kind of different abilities or different things, then you can create different effects or different quote-unquote miracles, right? Um, And... To me, that 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 seemed more reliable, <laughs> right? In a way, and when you really get into it, it was interesting because it it shows that these Greek gods, right? And really, the, this idea this is this is what I think what led me down the path of really being able to understand the problem of Eurocentrism, right? 
it started to show that, oh, I see. So religion and this idea of faith seem to have a more transactional, you know, um, kind of reality for many of these, uh, you know, faiths. And maybe that's not just purely European or not just all European, right? It was specifically like these Greek gods and things like that, Greek and Roman, right? It had this idea of this kind of transactional almost type of deal, right? Where you do this thing and you get this other thing from that. Um, oh, no, no, actually, let me back that up. Because I think it was later I realized, no, you also see the same thing in, in, in different like African mythologies, Right, where you kind of do a certain ritual, um, and you get something in return, right? So yeah, I think the difference I was making, yeah, it, it was between it was between this this idea of polytheistic religions versus monotheistic religions, right? In polytheistic religions, they seem to have a more you know um, transactional idea of the world and of or specifically of these higher powers and these these gods and these religions right and and that that is sort of a more hard magic system right where you do this thing you do this effect uh you do this action and then you get a certain effect right fairly reliably and when that didn't work it wasn't because you were you know losing faith or whatever is because there's something wrong with the gods right the gods <laughs> right either you know the the they had st many of these religions and uh, spiritualities and ideas had this idea that oh there's the channels are being disrupted between you know the mortal plane and the um above plane or whatever like the, the, the place where the gods live many of these uh cultures had stories of Either some hap something happening, some disaster happening, or the gods dying. Right, that's a big thing too. You started to see more and more fantasy books, or, or rather, you st I started to see some, some this in in certain fantasy books where they said, "Oh, the gods are dead, or the gods are dying." Right, um, this, is, this is a big thing in the the, the one I'm currently reading, Wandering In. Um, I might get to that, but that you know. That's a lot more recent in terms of the, the stuff I've, I've read about magic. But you did still see that, right? And I think that was interesting to me because this kind of transactional kind of religion, this aspect of these religions, um, is most similar to these kind of magic systems, right? And I would wager that the, the very idea of these magic systems stemmed from these polytheistic, you know, um, religions and beliefs. And something like these monotheistic ones, the idea that there's only one God, necessarily has to destroy that transactional thing, Right? This is why this uh, this idea of just faith-based or, or miracles or whatever um, stemming from this one God is so inconsistent because <laughs> it can't be transactional, right? Because there's there's too much that one can ask for of this one God <laughs> that if it doesn't pan out, you can't just fall back on the idea that, oh, 
you know, God isn't listening because the whole point is God knows everything and is always listening, is always there, you know, <laughs> versus with these polytheistic religions, there's this understanding that, oh, these God-like creatures, these beings are basically like people, even though they might embody certain, you know, certain uh, aspects of nature or uh, of reality, there's this understanding that they may not always be paying attention to you, right? This is understanding that they're off doing their own things or they have, they might be fickle, they have their own feelings and all this other stuff. Like they don't have to do these things and they usually do because they care or because whatever reason, um, but they usually, they don't have to, right? And so that allowed people to have a more kind of fluid and flexible, you know, relationship with this idea of higher powers. And I think that's why a lot of polytheistic religions were so, or quite frankly, more uh, open to different cultures and different religions, right? Because even if you didn't believe in the Greek gods, the fact that you believed in some the Egyptian gods or whatever, you know, meant that, yeah, you might be weird, but we still understand each other to some extent, right? You might say they're barbarians. I think, you know, there's some understanding of that. But they will say, oh, they just believed in foreign gods or whatever. But when it came to these monotheistic religions, there's this idea that, oh, no, it's there's just one God that exists. That's it. If you don't believe in him, you don't believe in nothing. If you don't believe in anything, you're just, a, you know, you're just basically praising the devil, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> which to me seems like another type of God, but, you know, whatever. Technically, he's supposed to be an angel that fell and all this other stuff. But um, that really limits. That really is what I think. That's I think that's a big factor of what turned the, the sort of magic system of religion on its head, right? It, it conflated all the different types of magic magical schools, if you will, from you know the vast variety and diversity that you had before into this one kind of type of um, magic that you can that you're only allowed to do. That really limits people. And it also kind of forces people to think a certain way and to be less open to other types of beliefs and other other types of people. Right? I think that's akin to how um and certain, you know, kind of urban fantasy books and even like somewhat like science fantasy books, you have this idea that magic might still exist. Or, or you have this kind of um, adversarial relationship between like magic and science, right? Where magic might exist, um, but you don't. You want it to be secret because if the the non-magical people discover it and try to study it, it will destroy the magic somehow, right? Um, because it conflates it, right? It 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 takes away the uh, the vast kind of breath of the way that it can function through the kind of unknown or the uh the fact that it doesn't like similar to these poly 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 <laughs> theistic religions you know it doesn't always have to do exactly what you want it to do um because the the magic system itself could be you know a little fickle um but yeah and uh I think this was all very much embodied in the uh, Percy Jackson series because you did, you know, had this idea 
that not only were these guys basically people, but you can take them down, <laughs> right? Um, you can fight them because um, they might be on some shit, on some bullshit, which was very accurate because <laughs> even in the Greek god kind of stories, you had this idea of these many of these guys just being goddamn terrible people, to be honest with you, all right, doing really horrible stuff. And so in many of these stories... There's this understanding that the gods aren't always on your side, right? They're not always people that you want to rely on. And even though we might get some powers from there, uh, science or, or, you know, engineering or whatever, like these, these material ways of doing things allowed you to grant some, allowed you to gain some power, almost like, almost like taking power back from the gods, and so what was interesting about things like the Percy Jackson was that it's set in the modern world where theoretically the humans were more powerful than they've ever been. Um, and as a result of that, or rather, I should let me back up a second, right? There's this idea in many of these religions that the gods themselves gain power or at least some sort of life force or something like that through the faith, through the belief in them from people from regular people right so there's this two-way relationship right it wasn't it was transactional because like the reason i can't believe i forgot this point right the, the reason why these guys would do these things for people when they did these rituals and all this other stuff is because in return they get this sort of faith energy right in return people when people think about them they can exist they can continue to exist. And so the reason why it was so dangerous for them that people were, you know, under trying to find ways to understand the world that was separate from them through science and, and math and engineering and stuff like that, right? Or the reason why things like the Industrial Revolution was so dangerous, right? Or so, I'm not going to say dangerous. It, it was dangerous, but I think it was often framed as sort of endemic right to the downfall of these faiths is precisely because through the industrial revolution people and through you know the uh i should say the scientific revolution all this other stuff right people began to discover more about the world like they they can understand that oh the reason we have rain is because of clouds right and clouds are not the god's heaven it's not heaven right it's not where the gods live it's just water vapor <laughs> right and in some ways yes that is less magical in a way right it's, it's less it, it takes away the uh the appeal like the, the the um mystical feeling that you get when you look up and you're like oh there might be gods up there right? there might be whole people might be a whole society right there that I, that I don't know of like it allows you to to imagine right but when we when we realize that oh those clouds are just water right <laughs> then you can you have this understanding that oh uh like or rather you have less curiosity and less imagination inherently because there's there's less to imagine about right and so i understand why people have this this um um reluctance to embrace things like science and logic and things like that. I understand why people even have this 
adversarial outlook at things like uh, science. And why people have this, I forget, I forget the, I'm not sure if there's a word for it, but like this, this feeling of almost like nostalgia, but more so like a, um, a deep kind of yearning for this, for this day and age when people believed in all these magic systems and all this other stuff, right? I understand why people have that. Because it does feel more reductive. It does feel like the world is smaller now. That you can identify why certain things happen. And it's not just, oh, because somebody, some God said, you know, <laughs> some God breathed, right? Like, it's understandable why. But it's also why in many of our stories, right, such as Percy Jackson or whatever, that we begin to have this understanding that, oh, these gods aren't that powerful, <laughs> or they're not that different from us, right? And I, thought, I think it was interesting for me to see and for me to read over time these books where the gods themselves, right, were becoming less and less powerful because people were believing in them less or even thinking about them less, right? When people, you know, looked up at the sky and just saw, or, or at a cloud and just saw water vapor rather than, you know, uh, thought of the god, you know, I don't know. Um, I didn't go sp say a specific name because different, you know, of course, different uh, religions and things like that, belief systems would have a different god that they would think of. But the point here is that, you know, when you look up at a cloud and see water instead of, you know, a specific god, then yeah, you're going to think less about that god. And so, in those, in those systems where the, the existence of that god depends on the people thinking about them, it is scary. It is it is a functional thing that uh, the world becomes less magical and these gods stop existing. The gods die or go away or whatever. And you see that across religions and across stories across the whole world. With the advent of technology and science, you have less and less of this belief in, or at least this transactional belief in is the, the polyistic, you know, gods and spirits and all this other stuff. Precisely because, once again, instead of those depending on that transaction to get, you know, your to get your sickness cured or to get your your uh, water, your rain coming in, or to get whatever that you want to get from these gods, you can just get a piece of technology to do it more reliably, right? Like the technology would do it all the time, unless the technology is broken, right? Usually. While these gods won't do it all the time, it was kind of fickle, right? It's based on all these other variables. And so, it's very interesting. I think that that's another part that, that was foundational for me to see, to kind of recognize that pattern in both the literature and the, the, the religions and our history of the world, right? It kind of all kind of combines in my mind. But once again, for me personally, I guess I'm not I'm not even I guess the, the one of the reasons why I still kind of believed or I, I still didn't I one of the reasons why I saw technology as both a like I, I saw technology yes I did see this part of like oh yeah technology kind of takes away from the world but I also saw it as adding to the world as making the world feel more magical was well, precisely because 
I didn't fully understand how, you know, this technology worked, <laughs> right? I understand that other people made it, but I'm like, the fact that other people could make something like this, to me, was also astounding, right? And I think a big reason for why I enjoy sci-fi so much is because it allowed me to imagine what type of things humans might create in the future, right? I was able to see that, oh, yeah, okay, we created some of these amazing things, and we this, this trend could continue, right? We could create flying cars. We could create spaceships. We could create freaking... Uh, lasers and and uh, lightsabers and stuff like that. We create we we could create time machines, right? And all that allowed me to to maintain this this kind of belief, this kind of understanding that technology is a tool for a tool that can that can both reduce the world, but also make it bigger. And better in some ways, right? It can destroy the world, but also help to build the world. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted to transition a little bit into sci-fi too, because that was uh, uh, reading things like Clark, uh, Clark Tech stuff. Um, I didn't read too much stuff like from them, unfortunately, but like folks like uh, what's his name? Um, I want to say Isaac Arthur, but no, that's a YouTuber. <laughs> Uh, goodness, I forgot author's name, but like the stories around like um, the Foundation series, you know, the whole the quote um, of uh, sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. That quote was just a bombshell in my mind, right? Because I think before that time, I, I this is series I really loved. I think it's called the Resonance series or something like that, where um, it, I think it was set in this post-apocalyptic world, you know, and they were like, they were like, not exactly trying to discover, you know, what happened, but they were kind of trying to, they were, they were able to see what happened. They were stoned upon ruins of our current society and see that oh, there's something crazy that happened, but in that story, right. They used a sort of magic that felt both magical and technological and scientific in a way, right? This idea of, like, resonance. This idea that um, everything kind of vibrates at a certain frequencies and things like that. And so if you tap into those frequencies with either certain tools or rituals or whatever, then you can create certain effects. So, again, it was a magical kind of thing, but it had a scientific understanding, right? And I think at the same time I was re- I was reading into things like quantum, uh, quantum physics and everything like that, and quantum field theory. And in quantum field theory and quantum physics, it's the same thing, right? Where everything exists as like a wave and a particle, right? As a frequency, as a <laughs> as a uh, wavelength, right? And if you tap into those wavelengths or understand those wavelengths, you can understand more about the world. Of course, you know, our ability to do so is way less than than that. But that, to me, was one of the found another one of these foundational pillars that made me imagine and, and, and hope for a world, a time where we can maybe tap into these the quantum level of the world. Right. Like the, the, the by quantum, I mean, not just very small, but like the, the fact that at that level, there exists a sort of. There is the world exists in a sort of 
what they call it, amplitudes, right? It's a world of possibilities, or rather probabilities, right? Like the, the whole double slit experiment shows that, you know, the world exists, at the smallest level, the world exists in a sort of probability space, right? And when... I don't want to misquote this, but something along, <laughs> around the lines of uh, the observation effect and all this other stuff, like something something collapses those ways, those probabilities into one thing. And of course, this leads to things like the many worlds theory. Like that's one interpretation of why or how this happens, right? The the, the theory that you know when those waves, those probabil- probabilities collapse, it's not that all the other probabilities no longer exist is that they each exist in a different world right i think that's like the kind of crux of the many worlds theory is that you know we are living in a probability in one probability in this vast probability space and so every you know everything that can happen is happening but in a different sort of world if you will that's just one interpretation though that that and it's funny to me because it shows the fact that this is a very highly respected theory among some some physicists and things like that and at the same time it's a joke among other physicists right like they're like no this is complete bullcrap because it is it's both very uh it's something that they can they can't really prove <laughs> right it goes against some theories of some elements of science in that it's it's not really something that we can come up with experiment with to in order to you know uh disprove right now and at the same time it's also something that we can that we can see might exist through our mathematics right which many physicists and scientists uh, uh, consider as like the one of the foundational aspects of our society if not our reality right the idea, the, the the fact that we can use math, like through our math, we can cre- create or discover, right? This theory shows to me that there is an inherent sort of magical essence to science itself, to math itself, to the very foundations of our quote unquote logic and rationality, right? It's based on upon the fact. Upon the assumption, rather, that we can understand upon the we can understand everything there is to know about the world. That's a very big assumption, <laughs> right? The very idea of science itself is a sort of magic, right? It's this it's this idea that if we do a certain effect, or right, or rather, if we do certain actions, right? then we can create a certain effect on the world through our technology, right? It's a sort of magical system to me, but instead of spells, or rather spell theory, there's science, right? Instead of studying the arcane arts, you study uh, all the different types of sciences and mathematics. Instead of uh, spell effects and tools, like like wands and potions and stuff like that for alchemy, we have technology and we have, you know, uh, uh, chemistry and stuff like that, right? And of course, it's not, you know, back and forth there, but or it's not 
What do you call it? You get what I mean, right? <laughs> it's not a one-to-one, -one, obviously. But there are so many similarities in my mind that I'm always open to the possibility that we might not even be doing science right. Like we could be, like maybe there's a different way to do science, or maybe there's a unscientific way to create technologies, or maybe there's a there's a technology that we can create that feels more magical, and that there is one tool like a wand that you can use to you know extract thoughts from your mind and uh, create a certain formula, right? Like hold your hand in a certain way or do certain intonations right to create an effect that is from your mind rather than built into the tool itself like that's one of my biggest dreams of technology is to build a tool a technology that allows people to extract what's in their mind and turn it in, in, into a material thing in the world like that is at the core of my idea of magic right there and my idea of what technology Maybe not should be, but can be, but could be, right? That's the type of technology I want to create. The ability to, once again, imagine something and create it. And to me, the fact that a lot of our technology is mediated through something like code, right? To me, is extremely reductive. It's extremely constraining. Because the very act of studying these things, of becoming better at these things, isn't, is in and of itself exclusive. It's like, similar to Harry Potter, right? You have to be a certain type of person to be able to, you know, utilize this magic, right? This technology, right? To me, the, the, the entire reason why I don't like the fact that most of our technology is mediated through computers is the fact that you know it's exclusive it's 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 constraining it it's limiting right it it calls it feels too much like those <laughs> books where you know you have to be a special type of person in order to use you know this magic and i and it's also why i understand why these programmers and and even like technical artists and things like that and people even people who who are like prompt engineers you want to call it that like i understand why people why they consider that good and powerful and and um amazing because it is right but to me the whole point of technology is that more and more people can create these magical effects like more and more people, like you can disseminate this quote unquote magic. You can disseminate these amazing abilities to people who are from any various walks of life, various ways of thinking, various backgrounds. It's more egalitarian. But mediating that technology or the creation of that technology, because once again, the magic with it with our current technology, the magic is in the tool itself. Goodness, my, my voice is going out. <laughs> The magic is in the tool itself, not in the person, right? But I think we can create technology where you extract, not, no, I don't want to say extract because, right, like, <laughs> that's one of the whole problems with technology is that it extracts so much from the world without putting more into it. 
right? And that's another part, uh, aspect about magic is that, is that it's not extractive. It simply, you know, either manifests more in the world, right? It manifests something in the world that did not exist. And therefore, that manifestation is usually temporary or maybe not as good or something, right? But at, at the very least, it does not take from the world. Or it would shift from the world, right? Turn something that is in the world into something else. Transmutation, right? Um, but even with that transmutation, it can usually be transmuted back. Or, you know, um, it's kind of just as good in a way. It doesn't necessarily poison the world around it. But with much of our technology, it's extractive, right? It doesn't exactly transmute something because you can't just take something and then turn into something else. You have to take something from a bunch of different places. And in so doing, you poison all those places or you, you destroy all those places, right? In order to, you know, create this effect. So net-net, it's more negative than it is positive, right? It... It creates more destruction than it does creation. Even though you can create something like a car, which does add to the world, <laughs> you can easily, easily make the make the argument that the creation of that car created way more destruction, right? Took way more from the environment, and is constantly adding more destruction, causing adding more pollution, right, to the environment every time you use it. And to me, that is anathema to something like magic, <laughs> where, you know, it's typically not destructive. And uh, the destructive magics are almost always banned, <laughs> right? Like, in almost all these books, people have the sense of mind. Oh, no, I'm not going to say that, right? Because another interesting part is that in many of these books, the most destructive magics do go off, like... The reason why they get banned is because they destroyed an entire like country or something like that, and now the country is a twisted land and all this other stuff. Or people, you know, uh, let loose, you know, some some crazy demons or or you know monsters or whatever, and now everybody has to deal with it. So I'm not gonna lie, yeah, magic. Many of these stories do, does have magic doing really cra crazy, terrible things. But net net, every spell you do. You know, with the magic system, typically with many magic systems, um, don't destroy the world around it, right? They either add to the world or may or have no effect, right? And the reason for that is because a lot of that magic, once again, comes from the person. And so, yeah, it does take a lot of that out of the person, but that person can always just replenish that energy, right? Whether it be mana or whatever. Again, contrast that with our technologies today. And you see, you know, kind of a big difference there. Um, but before, I have talking a lot, so I do have to end this. <laughs> I realized it didn't transition. I meant to transition into more about this different sci-fi stuff. Um, and to be honest, it won't be that much because even though I really, really enjoy sci-fi, I just don't even, I never really had a whole bunch of options, right? Because again, most of the sci-fi was just military in space or some shit like that, right? <laughs> but the most interesting sci-fi to me was the ones that felt more magical, right? Was like, you know, Clark Tech, where you had these um, technologies that really did feel indistinguishable from magic, right? The, you had this ability to, you know, use your mind to control the world and stuff like that. 
to control things in the world. Um, the spaceships, you had, and AI. I think AI was another example um, of a, a very magical idea, right? This idea that you can ask the AI to do things that you have no idea how to do and it will do them, even though you don't know how exactly it does it. <laughs> and at the same time, most of the, these, these AI systems, right, will do it. Like they won't just kill you or say no or something like that. Like it's, it's like it's capturing the very idea of gods, right, the transactional nature of gods, um, but without the the power that gods had to destroy you <laughs> or to ignore you right uh and that's problematic in and of itself right uh and i could do a whole, i'll probably do a whole other episode talking about the 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 foundational the ph philosophical problems with these magic systems and these books and fantasies and things like that right the the reality that many of these were based on hierarchical relationships were based on you know Kind of Eurocentric relationships were based on, or Eurocentric ideas are based on, um, kind of uh, uh, very problematic <laughs> philosophies, right? But that's the whole other conversation. But yeah, like in in a lot of these, um, I think there's this one series called the In Her Name series or something like that. I don't remember the details. I just remember it just felt really cool to read it. <laughs> It was just really cool because um, they had like cool ships and they were able to go all across space and stuff like that. Um, and they, I think they got to their destination and it turns out this crazy advanced civilization that they found was just like some some a puddle of moss or a puddle of uh, <laughs> of like some micro uh, things. And, and it, they they seemed to it seemed to talk about how you know once you get advanced enough, the best thing you can do is just shrink yourself down to a. <laughs> this this uh, microscopic level and just live in a puddle or something like that. Um, it was funny, but um, another interesting one was uh, a lot of the most interesting sci-fi I think for me was in these uh, web novels, like like uh, these kind of parahuman related ones, where you had these people who either had powers from like an alien or some interdimensional type of you know thing there, like impact or you know a spider bite or something like that um so there's this idea that the reason why this th this power comes from is not exactly magical but some mutation or some some uh unintended consequence of the technology that we were creating right and i think that's very fascinating as well because it, it goes into this idea that technology is not just purely destructive but indeed trans transmutative or mu mutational right so it when you have these certain power like with uh like with the Hulk and, and many of these types of things or it's also similar in like static shock, right? Like the, or mutants in general, right? Many of these mutants have these powers because of <laughs> unintended consequences of freaking nuclear, you know, testing or nuclear missiles or whatever, right? Nuclear fallout. And it's it's definitely fan fantastical, right? This is it's it's uh optimistic right it's this idea that uh nuclear fallout is not just purely destructive but it might also create some some nice uh <laughs> externalities some nice consequences as well unfortunately that doesn't seem to be the case but it is interesting that we um have this idea that some technologies if they go wrong could all could actually still go right <laughs> right um and uh let me see let me see 
I feel like there's another big one I wanted to talk about. Um, there's, of course, Star Trek. I was never really big into Star Trek. I, I kind of feel like I want it to be, but I just was never really into it for whatever reason. But I did like the idea when I, when I watched the newer movies, at least, of, you know, the transponder and the, you know, teleporting around these ships that are that are pretty interesting. Um, I think a big reason why I was annoyed about Star Trek was because, like, the aliens were always just humans. Um, and that's a big problem with most sci-fi, at least with the movies. Um, that's why I usually just read sci-fi books because you can kind of imagine <laughs> more more alien-looking things. Um, but it's understandable because of the effects and special and and costumes and all this other stuff. But yeah, many of the the sci-fi stuff to me. Oh, a big one for me was um, was virtual reality, right? Was things like Snow Crash and the uh, the uh, Epic Edda series and and Sword Art Online and things like that, Log Horizon, right, was this idea that we could create um, entirely new worlds <laughs> within this world that felt just as real. And there is where we could do all the crazy shit, right? We can have all the magic we want and all this other stuff. And it doesn't break physics, doesn't... Except in the way that the, the fact that we can create these worlds in the first place, right? <laughs> that we can create a virtual world that feels just as real and have methods of living in that world that feel just as real as living in this world, right? I think, again, there's a huge amount of philosophical um, things that, that that was completely just, just, just ignored throughout most of those societies. Like, the fact that if you can create these worlds, like, the, the, the existential angst people would have about our reality being real would be insane like that would be a whole other conversation but at least in many of these worlds they did show how if we could create worlds that's just as real as ours then people would probably live in those worlds instead of this one all right especially if this world was so terrible like in um um uh, ready player one right but nonetheless to me that was very exciting because that that was the very that was probably one of the most easy not easiest but like one of the most accessible ways to build to invent magic right is to create a world where magic can exist <laughs> and people can live in there but again for me it wasn't enough for me what excited to me it was exciting but i was tired of escapism right i didn't want to live in another world i want to live in this one but make this one feel more magical right so to me what what really excited me about those science those, those sci-fi ideas was the concept that you could um of like augmented reality that you can augment this world with overlaying information from other worlds that people created or whatever and you can make it feel more magical right imagine something like Yu-Gi-Oh right and so or Beyblades or any of these type, these type of things to me that's like a sci-fi type of that's a sci-fi setting where you have this magical uh technology right and to me that was super exciting so that's another like foundational thing for me is like looking at things like Yu-Gi-Oh or Beyblade or whatever Pokemon not Pokemon that, uh, that was a whole other thing but like especially Yu-Gi-Oh and Beyblade where it was technically supposed to be Digimon was kind of in the, in the middle um but yeah especially Yu-Gi-Oh and Beyblade is supposed to be like <laughs> the heart of the card or the heart of the, the like the technology itself was basically uh, getting a life of its own through you through your belief in it and again that spoke to like <laughs> what I was uh, my whole history of, of kind of these things 
and as I look back on it now, I do think is one of those it's one of the most accessible and realistic ways that we might be able to create a more magical world. It's creating these technologies where the more you feel for it, the more you can actually um, manifest, right? You can create like a hologram um, and it might be based on your heart rate or whatever, or maybe even certain brain waves it can pick up and <laughs> that would, you know, manifest, make the hologram feel more, more, you know, uh, more solid, right? It might be because it might gain energy, right? It might gain energy from your brain waves. Like <laughs> you can try, somehow try to translate your 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 brain waves or your your heart rate or you know your static you know whatever I forgot the term for it into mechanical energy uh, or into electrical energy or whatever. I don't know. But the point here is that we might be able to create technologies like that today, and I think that is super exciting. And that's a big reason why I really enjoy working with simulations today is because, you know, we can create these types of effects. Even though I'm, not, I'm doing nothing like that, um, but it's, it's teaching me how to craft these worlds. It's teaching me how to look at this type of technology in a way that's not purely reductive, right? I don't have to learn how to program in order to do this stuff. I can just take my ideas, turn it into a story, and work with people who know these different skills in order to do that. And my, my dream is to be able to work with these people to, like, I don't mind working with programmers. Like, I, I enjoy many, many types of developers and programmers, right, and artists and all this other stuff. But my dream is to be able to work with them to create a tool where m people can imagine, you know, a, a, a thing and create that thing through the tool without having to learn all the, the things that get into it. But, yeah. I'll end it there because I am getting <laughs> getting uh, tired now. And I hope I, you know, explored this idea well enough for you to follow kind of my, my, my origin story with uh, with magic and stuff like that and technology. And, um, yeah, as always, it's been fun. Thanks for listening. Um, let me know what you think about all this stuff. If you happen to listen to all the whole two hour plus of this thing. And, uh... As always, don't be afraid to be radical. Don't be afraid to be revolutionary. Don't be afraid to be magical. And have a great day. See ya. Bye-bye.